Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt. I look at the week's financial news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you, of course, and help to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a week. What a show. Wowzer. There's so much this week. We're not going to get to it all. We're not going to do it. I'm going to highlight what I think is most important for you, but just know, listener, there's plenty of stuff we don't get to. There are some weeks it's just too much. This is one of those weeks. But we're going to look at a Wall Street Journal stock picking contest. I love to camp out on those. Tons of lessons to learn. We're also going to look at your federal government. I say this with respect um, to my listeners overseas. I know that's not all of you, but I'm speaking to United States citizens right now. The United States government, the mounting debt bill. So... Wall Street Journal says, higher treasury yields snowball into $1.1 trillion of additional interest. That's right, with a T. Oof. What are you to do? And then in closing, we're going to look at the underbelly of the financial advice world. In particular, Northwestern Mutual and Edward Jones, Mr. Max Schatzow of Advisor Council, who is a lawyer specializing in helping those in the financial advice business actually list out who makes what. So go ahead and gather the family around the speaker. Bring them all in. We just dipped below 70 degrees here in Dallas, so get some hot water ready. I'm going to take a sip myself. Hmm. Delicious, getting brisk out there. And let's learn something about financial advice. At the top, stock picking contest. I can't get enough of these articles because the lessons are fresh every time. So this is the Heard on the Street Stock Picking Contest. This is the Wall Street Journal. Read about our columnist's favorite and least favorite stocks. So this is the Wall Street Journal's seventh annual contest. It actually is not over. It continues all the way through August 2nd, but this is a nice snapshot in time where we can look and say, huh, how well have these savvy, savvy Wall Street Journal folks done in picking individual stocks. And they kind of laugh at themselves. So I actually give these folks credit. They realize this is really hard. This is really, really hard. So I went through, and on this article they list, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 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 nine. Oh man, over 20 stock picks that various writers have made whether to buy or sell, and what the return has been since that was initiated. And this is humbling. It You could almost flip the buy and sell, and it wouldn't necessarily change the results. That's right. It is. It was effectively, a, it feels like a coin flip. So I'll, I'll give you the, the hall of horrors, and there are some good ones too, but I'm just going to list the various stocks that were chosen. Gap. Vinfast Auto, U.S. Steel, Oddity Tech, Take-Two Interactive, Denso, Toast, Moon Lake, Owens Corning, International Paper, Federated Homes, SBB, Royal Phillips, Hana, da 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 I'm skipping some all the way down to Zoo Digital Group. So, Jinju Lee was the best. Picked Gap stock, it's up 96.8%. Um, Mr. Stephen Wilmot, he picked Vinfast Auto to sell it. It's up 82% since his sell recommendation. 
Jinju Lee, again with a sell recommendation for Audity Tech, it's up 12%. What pops off the page at this list listener is this, it literally feels exactly like what Mr. Burton Malkiel in his book, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, his seminal book, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, talked about. It feels like a crazed animal throwing darts. I think Mr. Malkiel referenced a monkey throwing darts. Some sort of animal like that throwing darts. It, it's that haphazard. That's what this feels like. Particularly when you go down to you know, some of the worst where there's a buy recommendation on Zoo Digital Group, it's down 56%. Buy recommendation on Bloom Energy, down 31%. Buy recommendation on Lemonade, oh, a sell, that worked out, down 22%. Way to go, John Sindrew. But it just, when I when you go through these, it just feels, this feels just totally random. Totally crazy. Now, why why is it that you would think, listener, that if you got to choose buy or sell on a security, you you would there would be some sort of a pattern showing you had some sort of advantage. So if if the year ahead was coming and, and you someone gave you a particular stock and you had to put a buy or sell rating on it, you'd almost always want to put a buy rating on it. All things being equal, because most of the time stock market goes up. Most time it goes up. But what this reinforces, listener, this is the truth that can't be said enough. For every buyer, there's a seller. The market is not some amorphous blob you're trading with. You're actually trading with individuals, institutions, oftentimes AI that's pretty smart. The These folks have their own reasons for buying and selling, oftentimes very well-informed. So when you go in and you make a buy and sell recommendation on a security, just know whatever you're doing, whether selling or buying, there is a counterparty. You are not trading with a nameless, faceless, brainless entity. You are trading with a rational creature, typically, who's betting money. This is the most sure way that a bet is real and sincere. So these sorts of stock picking games should humble us we're probably not better than these writers. Probably not. They are... Now, why is it that this data usually never sees the light of day? It gets buried because the professional class of investor never wants you to see it. Never, never, never. These folks have integrity and they deserve our praise and adulation because they're out there showing the world, uh-oh, this is a huge miss. Some of these stock picks have been huge misses. And oh, by the way, if you had just indexed all of these decisions, I haven't run the math for you, but I can just tell you from a cursory glance, you're going to be worse off than the index. No surprise. No surprise. Oh, all the hours spent, all the brain damage researching, only to lose to the index. Perhaps we can learn from them, knowing we're no better than them. And then, this has popped up a lot lately. I'm seeing more and more of this in the Twitter feed, seeing more and more of this in the financial media. Wall Street Journal article, a $1 trillion conundrum, the U.S. government's mounting debt bill. Treasury yields have sprung to multi-year highs, forcing the U.S. government to pay a lot more in interest and putting pressure on the budget, the article says, by Mr. Eric Wallerstein. The U.S. government expected to pay an additional $1.1 trillion in interest over the coming decade, according to CBO's latest estimates. That's the Congressional Budget Office. Interest, this is, oh, here we go. Make sure you're sitting down. 
Children, sit down. If you're gathered around the speakers, interest costs are on pace to surpass defense this year. That's one of the largest government expenses in the budget. I'll read that again. Interest costs. Okay, y'all know what interest costs are. This is the just the money paid to service debt. They're going to surpass all that is spent on defense this year. Only Social Security and Medicare are forecast to be bigger burdens in the coming years. Uh, the increase revives long-standing Wall Street worries that the years-long acceleration in government borrowing by both political parties, thank you for being fair, Mr. Wellerstein, will eventually weigh on economic growth and asset prices. So this, it, you know, the deeper you go down this rabbit hole, the more scary it is. America is expected to spend $870 billion, or 3.1% of GDP, on interest payments this year. That's nearly double the annual average of 1.6 GDP since 2000. And interest costs are expected to reach 3.9% of GDP by 2034. Hopefully our artificial intelligence overlords are kind to us in 2034 and forgive the debt. So what's the problem? What is going to happen? And this is where I take a divergent view. Now, I want you to think, listener, when it comes to the national debt, this is the total outstanding debt owed by the U.S. federal government. Do you think it's possible that we could pay it back? I'm going to listen. Children, let your parents think about this for a moment. The answer is yes. Many of you have learned over the years listening to this podcast that I've read a book by Miss Stephanie Kelton called The Deficit Myth. What it highlights is that it's inflation. Inflation is the real problem here. We could, with a stroke of a keyboard at the Federal Reserve, erase all of our debt because we control the supply of dollars. This is where the crypto boys get excited. Because we control the dollar, in fact, we can print or create digitally as much as we want, we could decide at the Federal Reserve level just to simply say, all outstanding debt has been paid for you. We will issue you cash. And what would that do, listener? Think about it. What would it do? A lot of inflation. Think about how many dollars would flood the system. So as much as I don't like a debt that is out of control because it is the reserve currency status that allows us to do this, it allows the Japanese yen, it allows the euro to do this, we happen to be the best country of all the worst. It's like running away from a bear. You don't have to be faster than the bear, just faster than your friend next to you. That's what it's like in currency land. So it's not a great feeling looking at the future fiscal balances of the United States of America. And yet, do not let this affect your overall investment philosophy. This actually does not change what you should be doing. The danger here, and I've seen it happen, I felt it myself, is you... You read enough articles like this, you flip on Fox News, or generally it's, you know, whatever opposite party is in power, that whatever that news station is, they'll hammer it on this, so Fox currently. And the fear-mongering is out of control. Believe it or else, this is not actionable. You should not go buy gold on this. You should not go buy crypto on this. You know what you should do on this? And this is a Warren Buffett phrase. You should buy productive assets that have purchasing price power, moats around them, and can increasingly increase profits for your benefit. 
And you know where all those companies are packed? That's right, the almighty index fund. The almighty index fund is constantly voting and sorting and ensuring that the most valuable companies are the ones that you hold the most of. And this is done at no cost to you, the investor. While you sleep, like Rumpelstiltskin, you can rest assured the index is dynamic, not static, always adjusting based on the market capitalization, the total size, uh, the total value of those companies. So this is not something I want you to worry about. Now, I'm not saying there may not be problems. What I'm saying is I don't want you to change your investing philosophy off of them. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide. Where are you going to go? You're not going to go anywhere. And the the risk here is the charlatans will come out in force. Fear and greed, really powerful forces. And if you're not careful, they will get you. And they'll get me. In closing, this was fascinating. <clears throat> Another look at the underbelly of the financial advice industry. Mr. Max Schutzow, who I referenced earlier. He is a lawyer for... RIAs and other investment professionals, he illustrated that Northwestern Mutual and Edward Jones are actually paid by the mutual fund companies they put their investors in, their clients in. That's right. I'll explain it. Let's say you show up to a Northwestern Mutual and they recommend you hold a fund from the American Funds family. You better believe it's about 20 times the cost of an index fund or more. They actually will make money off of that recommendation. So American funds, Mr. Schatzow explains, they were compensated uh, the most by Northwestern Mutual of any company. They list 28 companies that Northwestern Mutual is compensated by. American funds, Fidelity Advisor funds, Russell, yada, yada. Now, you might be saying, now hold up, Robert, this is just an unfair shot at Northwestern Mutual. Well, let's, let's be fair. This is how they're compensated. Okay? Oftentimes, I will, folks will come into my office who are clients of Northwestern Mutual, Edward Jones, and they'll say, well, you see, I don't pay anything for my financial advice. Well, yeah, you don't pay by the hour, so you don't see the fee, but you most certainly do, and it takes a little while longer to explain it. So they pay. I mean, Northwestern Mutual shouldn't be giving you financial advice for free. Now, should they be a little more transparent in the manner in which they charge? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But you see the conflict of interest when you are not the customer? Uh-huh. American funds, Fidelity Advisor funds, Russell, MFS, Investment Management, BlackRock, PIMCO, Franklin Templeton, American Century, Nuveen, Oakmark, Invesco, T. Rowe Price, J.P. Morgan Funds, Hartford, Principal, John Hancock, Eaton, Vance, Baron, yada, yada. This is all the people who pay Northwestern Mutual, with American funds being the most. Over to Edward Jones. Mr. Schatzel poses a question. Can anyone guess which funds Edward Jones recommends to its clients most often, based on the revenue sharing schedule below? And they show different payments. So revenue sharing payment, annual asset fee based on ten grand, and they show how much is um, paid. That will negotiate these things. One hundred and ten million bucks a year goes from American Funds to Edward Jones. Nice chunk of business. The problem is the actual clients of Edward Jones and Russian Mutual. Do you think they're getting a fair shake? Is this objective financial advice? Who is the customer? You might be asking, where are the regulators? I have no idea. We can't wait on the regulators. Can't do it. Um, I think we're in a much better spot today in 2024 
than we were in 1924 and certainly than 1824 and certainly 1724. But we're at the side of the Garden of Eden still not in a great spot. So the best thing you can do is equip yourself and equip your friends and say, hey, wow, 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 you deserve, you deserve the right to know what you are charged for financial advice. That's one of the most important things I will do for someone is simply give them the news because their existing providers do not. So let's be grateful for living in 2024 where the internet exists and we can research this sorts of problems and we can utilize our brains and the information available to make great financial choices. And what are those great financial choices? That's keeping those costs low, that investing simple, and that time horizon long. Until next time.